You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Hello, this is your host, Abraham. And your co-host, Ryan O. And so this is uh, Why We Do What We Do. Yes. And uh, I just want to start by apologizing to our listeners. I have a bit of a flare-up in allergies right now, so... I'm going to try to not be sniffling too much into the microphone and uh, and not be making sounds of me drinking tea um, off to the side. But uh, just to say, I apologize for whatever weird gross sounds I'm making with my face. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess nasally is better than vocal fry, right? Uh, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. I'll probably do a little, little bit of that as well. Okay. <laughs> I, hope, I hope not too much, though. So... Another thing before we actually begin on this is, well, this is related. Mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of other podcasts and I was listening to one recently where they covered consciousness, which I thought, man, that's great timing because our episode on consciousness is going to come out and not too long, um, obviously before this one has launched, but uh, yeah, consciousness will be out there and we take a pretty radically different approach from the one that they took and specifically they made some arguments it was almost like they had listened to our podcast and then wanted to <laughs> argue with us. Yeah. Um, it was kind of funny. But anyway, I, uh, I wanted to specifically tackle a couple of their arguments, and, and it is related to what we're talking about today, which I guess I haven't even said yet. Although if you're listening to this, you probably read the title, which is we're talking about the self. And in self-management and I think even habit reversal and some other places, we teased the idea that we would be eventually talking about the self. And so here we are. Yay. Yay. And so what they had discussed in theirs um, was from the perspective of an author whose name I prefer not to drop right now, but this individual had written a book and they were discussing consciousness. They said that they had come from a background wherein they had studied um, from a sort of behavioral perspective what consciousness was and that during the, I want to say 50s, 40s, sort of the heyday of when behaviorism was very popular and prevalent in psychology, there was this, and they said in their their episode, distressing, I'm using air, co- air quotes oh, yeah. here, this distressing idea that there was no such thing as consciousness. That was that more radical behavioristic view of it. And uh, if you have listened to our consciousness episode, we kind of landed on the idea that there, there wasn't a whole lot of really great evidence to suggest that that was a useful concept in psychology. And so that idea is still around. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't find it particularly distressing. And one of the examples that they came up with was this idea of it's hard to imagine experiencing, I can't remember what they said exactly, but something like it's hard to imagine experiencing red without having consciousness. And to them, I say, I am experiencing red right now and I don't have the idea of consciousness. (laughs) So it's pretty easy for me. This is, and that argument of it's hard to imagine life without it is just, it's a, it's a weak argument in general. And uh, the analogy I came up with for this is I want to take the idea of excellence. Okay. okay. And so what is excellence to you? Excellence. Uh, I've done something above and beyond. Okay, cool. All right. So I'm going to go out in the world and I'm going to try and find excellence, maybe under a rock, behind a bush somewhere, maybe growing on something. I don't know. Let's see if I can find excellence out in the world. It's something that like people have within them though. Right. right. Okay. So I'm going to crack open your skull and I'm going to dig around in your brain until I find the excellence. I don't know if you can find it per se, but it's in me somewhere. Okay. (laughs) Well, yeah. And the whole point is excellence is a concept. It's an idea and it's not tethered to any particular concrete thing out in the world. And uh, this is actually an idea that I've wanted to talk about on this, on this podcast before, which is reification. And uh, reification is this idea where you take a concept and then you treat that concept as if it were a real tangible, movable object, right? Okay. And so this idea of consciousness, which is sort of a concept to describe, um, again, related to what we're talking about today, the self, which is related heavily as we'll get into the idea of self-awareness, um, that's, that's the whole thing about consciousness. The definition given by sort of the lay or maybe common psycho, uh, psychology community is the awareness of yourself, right? That's, and so that's exactly what we're talking about in this awareness thing and, um, and, and self. And so that in and of itself is just a concept. And so to go about saying that this is a real thing that really exists and is really out there is misleading because it's not. It's, it's, uh, it's an idea. And when we treat that idea as if it had a tangible form, then we're going to go out you know, using Lewis Carroll's um, analogy of a, a snark. 
you're going out snark hunting. You're you're looking for something. You created something, and then you're going out to look for it, even though it doesn't really exist. And so I just think that that um, that's not evidence in and of itself is being able to like I can't even imagine the world without it. You could say I can't imagine the world without excellence. But, you know, I kind of can because performance and excellent performance is a subjective experience when you're really only comparing two performances. But one of those eventually might actually not be considered excellent when something better comes along. And so it's it's mostly just a comparison and not one that relates to a, uh, a, a thing that you can really readily observe. Yeah, I think the argument is, is like people sometimes go a little too far. So like those things, I think, are valid when people create these sort of concepts to some degree. If there's something that they're responding to or interacting with, it's important there. Sure. It's just that it's good, like overstepping a little too far, right? Yeah. Like it, we need to step back, look at it and be like, is this really a thing or is it other things that we're kind of calling and kind of adding to? Yeah. This yeah, new thing. We always want to try and focus on what is the thing that best accounts for this thing we're experiencing. And um, consciousness could be better accounted for by other things where consciousness is simply a description of that experience, but the explanation for the experience is found in, in more tangible, um, objective things, per se. All right. So I jumped us straight in. So we're saying things need to be more objective, but... When I first start jumping straight into the self, I find that the self is very subjective. Yeah. So loosely, I kind of looked up a lot of different areas and thought on it myself and went back to some some books and whatnot. And it kind of generally across the board, I'd say kind of sweeping. It's something like experiencing what it's like to be you. And I think that describes it really well at like a lay level. Actually, I might like that better than the the more technical definition. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah. Right. Um, I guess we'll get back to it at the end. Uh, of the episode. So there's things like the the biological, uh, psychological, mental, social, cultural, gender, ethnicity, nationality, like all those things come into play when people are typically talking about the self and who it is to be yourself. That's kind of interesting. That that relates a lot to this idea of sort of identity, um, which we'll get more into how language relates to this experience. Um, but uh, that's a, except for maybe the biological one. But no, that's a really good point. Um, I like that. I think it just came up with the episode title why you are who you are <laughs> oh that's awesome is it doable yes okay so doing it awesome we were trying to come up with that beforehand and yeah. we got to name drop that more in here i had that experience where i used the word self so many times it began to lose all meaning to <laughs> me <laughs> so i had to put it back in context so that we could have this episode but maybe you'll have the same experience as we use the self over and over again or the word self that it'll yeah. also start to sound a little yeah. silly yeah so um, let's jump into the psych 101 level. You teach that a lot. Yeah. So when, uh, when I have to use the, the sort of generic standard psych textbook that for teaching psych 101, the definition that you're going to come across pretty commonly is the organizer of our thoughts, feelings, and actions. And so that implies there's the sort of hypothetical agent or entity that is causing your behavior that is sort of the core of who you are. Or at least playing a really significant role. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that raises the question of, okay, let's say that there is this weird thing inside of me that is control, and that is really me. It's the real me, but it's hidden in there, and it's the agency that controls what I do. Who's controlling that? And what's controlling the thing that's controlling that? And on and on and on, back and back and back. And you know, sounds like we can get a little circular there. It does, and. A lot of psychologists, so this is the idea that there is a primary mover or there's a first cause, um, basically, where what that implies is that there is something that initiates the action, but uh, it has to start somewhere. And so some of the psychologists who have investigated this over the last century or so have really, they went after this idea of, of a, there being a first cause and said that kind of doesn't make sense. Like there would always have to be something that preceded it. And so instead, let's look at this in terms of the the interconnected sort of network of things that happen in this long cascade. And there's never a first, it's just a long chain of events that happen where we can point to an event and say, this is the thing that we're interested in. And here are the things that preceded it. Here are the things that came after it. But no one thing was actually the the initial move that, um, that caused the whole thing because there's always something that preceded it. And I mean, unless you go all the way back to maybe birth or conception, but even before that, you had to have the variables that led to which uh, sperm and egg would become you and the fact that that happened at a particular time related to when your parents mm -hmm. were doing their thing and all of that. So it's you can always sort of step back in time kind of indefinitely and, and point to, well, this is the thing or this is the thing. So I think that this idea of there being a 
agent inside of us that that's causing the action is is more confusing and less helpful um, than anything. <laughs> um, and so, but let's let's unpack this a little bit more. So, generically speaking, the the organism or the person or the thing or the animal that that is performing some action that is what we're calling the self. Okay. And there, uh, there's some interesting research we're going to get into in sort of the behavioral world where um, we've even shown with basic research using like rats and pigeons and that sort of thing mm-hmm. that uh, they can do this self-reporting, which I have a, I have a little bit, bit of a bone to pick with that, but okay. we'll, we'll see when we get there. Okay. Um, but in that way that this is something that a lot of animals and organisms can do is simply report in a way on what their own actions and behavior is. Okay. But another way to look at this is getting more complex. And this is instead referring to the idea of a self as a concept where we're really making the distinction between I and you. Okay. Or more uh, completely, I and everyone else. And so uh, this is being able to speak of another person or organism as being separate from the experience that I have for me. And so this is this idea of the awareness of self. And again, at, in the psychological literature, both at the sort of more surface level and in the really complex, um, deep literature, if you will, um, self-awareness is largely what is talked about in this idea of there even being a self. Um, and that raises a whole host of implications in terms of, I guess, what we understand as, uh, as experience and I don't know. Yeah. And there's also, it's also a lot, not a lot, but it's also in the context of perspective taking that is talked about a lot as well, right? Yeah, exactly. So the idea of I and you and uh, those different perspectives. And how specifically I relate to you or you relate to me mm-hmm. and what my experience is relative to your experience yeah. and how my experience would be if I were in your position. All of that stuff is wrapped up in this idea of sort of self-awareness at that more complex level. So I'd say even like empathy research also sometimes gets related to this. So yeah. I didn't even think complex. to tie that in though. Yeah. should have done that. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. I mean, empathy is probably a better episode on its own. That's a good point. I would love to do that. We should. Okay. So... Going back to this idea of language, and language is largely shaped by our community, and this allows the um, the community to help us make a distinction between them and us, or each one of them individually and all the people around them. And so, uh, the and by us, I mean, you know, in this case, self refers to me, and for you, self refers to you, and to each of our listeners, self yeah. refers to each of our listeners, of course. But anyway, as the community makes that distinction, that uh, identity or that awareness um, of self. And again, that's strengthening that concept of there being an I and you sort of thing that increases. And as our sense of awareness increases, that allows us to be better able to control our own behavior and also predict our own behavior in general. Isn't that saying something like that? I think it was Skinner that ended up saying it, but, uh, that the self becomes important when it's important to the rest of the society or something like that. Like I'm yeah. butchering that really bad right no. now. But. <laughs> no, I, I don't have the exact quote, but that was essentially it was, uh, was Skinner saying that our own behavior, I think becomes important to us when it becomes important to others. Something yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And so I, I don't, I definitely do not agree with everything that he said, but I did. It's a, it's a foundation and a, a pinnacle from which I kind of stand on yeah. um, or definitely stand on. And that one definitely resonated with me when I first read it. It was just like, hey, you're you're right to some degree here, probably, or at least it feels really good to think of. Yeah, society really makes it that 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 self come together and happen and mean something. Well, and I think you can find some truth in it when you look at anecdotes of someone who is really famous, and their everything they do becomes very important to them, and they are very happy about being famous, and they have put themselves usually not always, but usually in a position to become famous, um, because uh, and. In doing so, that uh, again, they just there is that uh, sense of importance that is is heightened in a way. And not to say I'm not trying to say anyone who's a celebrity is is really conceited and full of their own ego, mm-hmm. um, but just the idea that uh, you see some anecdotes of this idea where uh, when we become our behavior becomes more important to others, then it also becomes very important to us. And I've heard tell of how celebrities sort of have that permanent sort of photo smile, like just yeah. ready to go. So if they're out in public where they could and will be photographed, they just sort of always have that look on their face, yeah. so they don't get caught making the the yawn and the nose pick and that sort of stuff that's going to end up on the cover of a tabloid yeah yeah i mean i can relate to that also anecdotally just how much different projects and business stuff that i have going on everywhere the fact that certain things are relied upon me across all of those and those are important to other people 
um, keeps me going day to day. Sure. Like, I've got to do this. It's important to me. Uh, when I step back and other people are kind of asking me, like, why is that a thing that you're doing? I'm like, well, why is that a thing that I'm doing? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's because, I mean, like, I always make sure to check myself and, like, it's a shared value and a thing I want to move towards, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, but it's also like, well, if I don't do this, then, you know, like, it's a, it's it's definitely being influenced, I guess. Yeah, there's an interesting the, conversation that I'm wondering if it would be large enough to be expanded into an entire discussion or episode about this idea of when we sort of get into the routine of doing things and then we don't really know why we do them. And sometimes we get in the habit of doing things that are no longer things that we, you know, it's not really in line with our goals and our values and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's uh, that seems related. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's get back on track. Yeah, man. <laughs> What's next? So uh, whatever it is in terms of self and self-awareness, it's apparently different um, from the, uh, the organism as a whole. Um, well, okay. Hold on. In the psychological psych 101 definition, the idea of it's the organizer of our thoughts and actions, that seems to create a self that is separate from our general, our organism being, okay? And that causes uh, the problem. But if we look at um, simply self as a language relation about ourselves and others, or on the more basic level, simply being able to behave with respect to our own actions, or I guess said in a different way, our ability to report on and uh, be aware of our own actions. It is a frame of reference that is strengthened by our community. And, uh, and one way that we do that is through the use of pronouns. So if I mean something different from you, but they both refer to a person, then that immediately orients my, um, awareness of the situation to the distinction between the two of us. Mm -hmm. Whereas, and there's no experiment that I think has ever been done or could be done to really show this. But if we had only one pronoun to say simply an organism, first of all, that might be confusing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it would be really interesting to see whether or not that affects our, uh, one's sense of self um, simply by having the language changed around that. Other than that, it is uh, going back to the original idea. It's the it's being able to be aware of your own behavior um, and being able to tell it apart from the behavior of others and also the fact that it's happening at all. Yeah. All right, so let's jump into some of the pop psych, uh, just like the popular, and I don't mean that in a bad way, like the popular psychology outlets, YouTube, those sort of mediums where where people are consuming a lot of, uh, where there's a lot of views and attention on these sort of things. Right. For the most part, it seems like there can be some really good useful information out there. Sure. It depends on your orientation and your psychological orientation, right? Like what what viewpoint do you like the most? Is this behavioral, developmental? So we're coming back to the idea of uh, worldviews and yeah. what becomes true for that particular Yeah, so you can definitely criteria. find things that are oriented uh, to your perspective or not to your perspective, and you can kind of look at those different things out there. Um, it also seems like it has a high chance of being like the self itself <laughs> as a concept <laughs> right. can have a high chance of being this place that I don't know how else to call it. We I talk about it usually as like a dumping ground. Yeah. It's a place where you can kind of put a lot of different things and I don't feel like it gets us very far. Yeah. And so another way that I like to talk about this idea of a dumping ground is um, the self in this particular instance becomes the explanation for so many things where no one asks for an explanation for then that explanation. Yeah, and that's what yeah, that's what I was trying to get at is it's useful, but where does it stop? Right. Yeah. <laughs> where does the utility end? Yes. Uh, it can't be the answer to everything. Um, and it can't just be this place where we kind of point to and then we stop investigating further. Yeah. Especially if we haven't answered or understood anything like this, right? Like, I mean, how long have we been studying the self? Yeah. So if we just say... Ever, uh, ever, ever, ever. Right. <laughs> oh, there's self-awareness because we have a self... All right, I'm good. Go home. Research yeah. done. Well, yeah. we, you know, you, you've already asked me to simply accept the idea that there just is a self and that everything you've concluded about it must be right because there's a self. Yeah. And I'm sitting here saying, well, hold on. I, I need you to orient to, to something that yeah. I can understand that really exists and is really there. And that's not to say that we're, again, saying that self doesn't exist. What we're saying is that this concept of it being this independent agent that's free of the constraints of our biology and uh, experience and circumstances. And everything else that we know about the world. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That that is not very useful. I mean, it can be to an extent, but it's very limited in how much you can really do with that concept. Yeah. So I like to look at these things of there's different ways to use these words. There's a lot of different ways to use the self. Yep. It seems to be that there's a lot of information out there that's easily consumable and accessible that uses it in this way of it's just kind of an explanation for a lot of different things rather than really diving into like everything that's going on with the self or other concepts that are being talked about when they're talking about the self, right? 
Well, in addition to the fact that people will then have all these uh, sort of just accept what I say and this is just a, a dumping ground explanation for everything, um, then they start really arguing with each other about their use of it in that way, right? Yes. <laughs> all right. So another way that it can be used, and this is more held in like the comment sections of various different places usually, or it's in, uh, there's all sorts of, there's forums it can be in, it can be in the academic journals. Um, it can be in just sort of, I mean, uh, lectures, it can happen in meetings. I mean, it can be anywhere, essentially. There's this other way in which this term can be used, um, and that's kind of, it's just like this arguing ground. Like, it doesn't really get us anywhere. It's just, we're going to talk about it. Someone else talks about it. There seems to be time, at least, or maybe other dedicated resources, like it's part of your job, sure. to where you can sit down and discuss and argue these sort of things, and it doesn't really get us anywhere. Well, this has happened in philosophy and other like hard scientific fields where there is a concept that, again, is not tethered to any particular thing in reality, but is simply an idea that might be a description of certain things that would be better explained by a concept that is uh, anchored to something in reality. And, and you'll see in these fields that people just argue back and forth about what the concept is and what it isn't and what applies and when it doesn't. And, and it, there's a whole bunch of uh, you know, correcting each other and um, animosity that can happen. Yeah, and it's the it doesn't need to exist because it's always around something that's often just very hypothetical. There might be a theoretical or conceptual reason to take a position on a a concept that hasn't yet been verified, like some kind of hypothesis or something. Um, but a lot of these concepts are ones that can't be verified because they're not stemming from actual data. They are stemming from ideas about data. Yeah, and therefore they become these these sort of a second step removed from the the real effect that again would be better explained by something that's anchored to the actual phenomenon that's happening. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, an, uh, one way we can maybe think about it is if you just sit down and kind of argue back and forth, and that could be in a nice way, right? Like mm -hmm. at a bar or something like that or over coffee about like whose position each each other's position and like who's right or wrong like We've that's what I'm getting before. at. Huh? We've done this before. Yeah, I'm just kind of getting <laughs> at like it's used a lot or there's a lot of information out there where it's just kind of being argued about a lot and it doesn't seem to be getting us very far. Yeah, I agree. Cool. <laughs> One more in sort of the, I don't, it's not necessarily pop psychology, but this is something that's talked about in a psych 101 textbook and it's related to this idea of self and self-awareness. And maybe this is just another example of how our own sort of uh, verbal behavior around this can create like really complex relations. And this it's called the spotlight effect. And this is the idea that people are paying more attention to you than they really are. And so it's if you like were to spill coffee on yourself and then you go into work and you think everyone's probably looking at that coffee stain on your shirt and thinking, man, what a slob. Most people might not even notice it. And uh, in the movie, uh, The Shawshank Redemption, where I'm spoiling something, I guess, if you haven't seen this movie, that's now <laughs> 25 years old. Yeah. But, Spoiler alert if yeah. you haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, where he switches out his shoes and he's wearing these really, really nice shoes, but the guards don't notice because, and he says in the movie, how often do you really look at a man's shoes? And so um, there there are things that you might be really highly likely to notice. And, you know, Sherlock Holmes is infamous and in always attending to the minutest detail and things. But most people, um, we don't really pay attention to that sort of thing. But in the spot effect we are sort of hyper aware of how we relate to those around us and therefore place the same level of awareness in our under our concept of how other people are sort of perceiving us but that's the, again just this really complex self-awareness issue in relation to other people's awareness of their environment i don't know i think it's kind of cool yeah <laughs> um all right so research time yes so there's a few different areas that we want to dive into here the first one is, I guess, two parts, like acknowledgement of there's a lot of research out there from various perspectives, as well as where that all sorts to tend to lead to. Mm -hmm. um, and I am speaking in generalities here, but like I stand behind this kind of generality statement myself. Okay. I guess. <laughs> That's great. You can do so, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. So there's twofold. So the first one would be like the self plays, and I'm, I'm loosely quoting a, a book that we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, and this is where I, I, I stand, obviously. So the self plays an important role in psychodynamics, humanism, positive psychology, like a bunch of different psychotherapeutic approaches is what they talk about. And this is uh, a summary of a lot of work that was done from a behavioral perspective, but with a lot of other interdisciplinary approaches over time, kind of 
putting this line of thought together sure. and the, these, these sort of research lines. So it's from uh, a big uh, handbook called the Wiley Handbook of Contextual Behavioral Science. It is... Was Wiley the publisher on that? So yes, Wiley okay. was the publisher. Zettel, Hayes, Barnes, Holmes, and Biglin are the folks that edited and put it together. So with that, there's a lot of different areas that have looked at it. Um, the main thing that they state and where I stand too is that much of this work has been conducted on this like mental level of analysis and it really just looks at the self as being um, this kind of agent or motivational force. Right, as we started with at the yeah. top of the episode. And so that's one uh, perspective of the research. I do stand behind that sort of research as well. I've read a lot into that in the past. Okay. Um, I think that's one angle to look at of the research though is that it's looked at as this motivational force that could be kind of mystical in some ways. Yeah, and there's... There's also been some in child psychology and other forms of psychology, some research on the self and self-awareness. And specifically, there is a really common test that I believe is actually still used today in infants. And what they'll do is they'll take a little dab of like makeup or rouge or something and they will put it. So whatever it is, it should stand out from the skin color of the infant and they'll put it like on its forehead. And obviously you can't see something that's on your forehead, although you might be able to feel it. But what happens is if you orient a infant to a mirror, the infant will instantly for most part, or this is actually how they really test for self-awareness and sort of typical development as a milestone, they'll reach up to their own forehead and they'll try and wipe the thing away or they'll touch it rather than reach to the mirror. And that's the whole idea is it's not the thing that you're looking at. It's the fact that you are recognizing yourself in the mirror as distinct from the reflection in the mirror, which isn't actually you yeah. and are therefore able to attend to it. And so in response to this and this uh, idea that, uh, wow, this is such an amazingly complex thing and humans can do it right away. There is really something special about uh, human cognition. So uh, Epstein and Skinner, uh, they decided to um, explore this and say, well, okay, is this really uh, restricted only to uh, humans? And are can we arrange this so that an animal that does not obviously have the same level of human cognition um, can perform the same sort of task? And so what they did is they took, uh, they, they were very famous at this point already for training pigeons, and they would train these pigeons so that they got reinforced every time they pecked at a dot, okay, this little red dot. And at first it was just on the wall and every time they pecked it, then they would get food. And so then they learned that, hey, pecking this dot gets me food. That's good. World is awesome. And then what they did is they put the dot on the pigeon and um, then the pigeon, um, it would have to still peck the dot in order to get food, but it couldn't see it because it was out of range. And, uh, and they specifically, they actually put it on its chest. Obviously it had to be able to reach it with its neck to peck at it, but they put it on its chest where it couldn't actually orient to it. And then they covered it with a bib so they could get under the bib, but they couldn't see it even if they turned their head to, at a particular angle um, but they could see it if their head was up and they were looking because then the the bib would raise above where the dot was and so uh, then they put them in a mirror and the pigeon would then peck underneath the bib to hit that red dot on its chest after having looked in the mirror and this was demonstrating virtually the same sort of process um, as the human infant Obviously, with the exception of the human infant hasn't been taught at that point specifically or trained to touch a red dot, but um, that the same thing could be accomplished and it didn't necessarily mean that there was there was the process that could only be explained by the fact that one was a human, um, but, oh, yeah. but could yeah, yeah. be taught in one way or another. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because I was going to say the argument then becomes like, well, well, didn't you train and shape that up? Right. But the, the thing was to like kind of poke at like it's not just because we're human, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, and so, and there's other things where it's like, you know, maybe this isn't exactly a model of explaining how it works, but this also shows that this could exist in a couple of different ways and not the only way that you're saying that it could exist. Um, and that's the, the case in this particular instance with self-awareness and the pigeon. And, okay, so that one is just talking about this, this level of simply being able to be aware of one's own behavior. And so there are essentially two levels of awareness that are being talked about here, right? So basically those two ways that are largely talked about, which is being able to report on and be aware of one's own um, actions and behavior. And that one is, well, we'll get into that more in a second. And then the other way is how um, our awareness is shaped by our language and our culture. Yeah. So the, the first one you've kind of talked about, like the self-awareness and the pigeon um, and the, just the fact that we ourselves and other living things can be 
taught to pay attention to ourselves, right? So anything that's in self-control, self-monitoring, self-reinforcing. Self-management? Yeah, self-management, determining our, or identifying like things you like, dislike, your preferences, those sort of things. All of that is one view, and it's thought of generally in the research that these sort of things are one type of way in which we can talk about the self. Can you engage in the skill in which you can identify um, your own patterns of behavior, thought, etc.? Right? Yeah, right. Cool. Now, the second one with language, the assumption... Hold on. Before you do that, uh, go on to the second one. Uh, I had an example for the first one. And okay. so, because there was the whole thing with a pigeon, but they, they did another one as well where um, they taught these, uh, this is the same... I don't, I don't think it was the same exact people, but they, um, this, the same, uh, school of psychology where they had these rats in these cages and they would press levers and, um, there were basically, uh, the levers would produce food, um, only at particular intervals and the intervals that they were pressing, um, were associated with a color. And so if they pressed food or they pressed the lever um, on one interval or pressed it on the other interval that was associated with a color. But then what happened was they would press without the color on an interval and then they would be presented with the colors and they would have to go press whichever color it was that they were just pressing what interval it was associated with. So it was sort of like, um, you know, in a way you have to identify what you're doing and then remember that in this you know, I mean, it was pretty immediate, but, um, the fact that they could identify, oh, it was, this was the, the interval I was using and then press this, uh, the right color. And so that was demonstrating this idea of even these rats and pigeons could quote unquote report by selecting which color was associated with the interval they were used to, um, their own behavior. And, and however, there is a distinction here and going back to Skinner in his book, I believe it was about behaviorism, uh, argued, Quote, there is a difference between behaving and reporting that one is behaving or reporting the causes of one's behavior. And that leads to the second one, I think, which is the, the more language-based one. Yeah, so for this one, and we've talked about this, I can't remember when what episode, we kind of sprinkled it here and there, that uh, for us, the verbal is anything vocal, sign language, like use of any sort of those sort of things, right? Symbols and whatnot to communicate. Yeah, yeah, communication, basically. Yeah, so I just largely use language to talk about all those different sort of forms as well as the different actual languages that you can use to speak. That's a great qualifier and clarification there because we've definitely used it a lot without having said that explicitly, so that's yeah, really helpful. Yeah, so, so language here is thought, uh, there's two things. There is an assumption, comma, some research, uh, mm -hmm. depending, and I just say comma and some research because uh, people look at research in different ways. It is relatively new uh, when we're talking about research lines, like what, 20, 25 years? Yeah, That they've been looking at this sort of stuff. Yeah, um, uh, maybe and, longer than that now. Maybe it's like 35 years. Yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> in, the, in the grand scheme of things, it's relatively short compared to other things we talk about on here sometimes, right? Oh, yeah, totally. And so with that, the, this assumption is that uh, humans can engage in some sort of language-based processes that at least at the moment it seems to be thought of are different than uh, any other living thing. Right. And so with that comes the ability to do kind of some higher order skill sets, I would say. Yeah. And these things would be uh, being able to respond to things kind of arbitrarily, right? So larger, smaller uh, would be a good example. Um, any sort of hierarchy, right? So or order in which we're doing things, first, second, third. Right. I say larger and smaller, those are, I mean, those are tangible things that you can, I mean, the concept of larger and smaller isn't, but you can see things that are larger and smaller, but hierarchy is definitely something that is is only a concept where we rank certain things. One as being more important or less important or um, is a larger umbrella category versus a smaller example of, a, of a, something. And so, yeah, you're right that in this idea of looking at self and self-awareness in terms of uh, verbally or our language mm -hmm. and how we make that distinctions um, of ourselves in a similar way to that just being able to report our own behavior with language it allows that to be arbitrary as you said with and not just in self-reporting but so, in all the ways and how we understand how we fit into an interconnected network where our relation to others is in a hierarchy or it's in a linear or it's in a social framework or any of these other ways of thinking about ourselves and how we fit into a larger context and how that context relates to us and so some specifically some people that have done as you mentioned in in that um that 
it's it's a little bit from the behavioral and other interdisciplinary fields is um, talking about okay how do we actually categorize the sense of self and what does that mean in this particular instance and they gave some uh, there there was three specific type of selves and there there were some other ones as well uh, well. There were other uh, frameworks as well, but the really important um, sense of self, uh, ones that they listed here are the self as content or the self as awareness or self as context, okay? And that helps to make a category of how those type of relations exist. And again, this is borrowing from the Hayes and uh, who were the other authors on that one? Hayes, Strawson, Wilson. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, and and their overall conceptual system here is called acceptance and commitment therapy, which is related to relational frame theory. It's a whole big thing. But anyway, so uh, what you're actually more of an expert in this uh, in terms of what these three categories are, what they consist of, and how you use them. Uh, so how would you talk about the self as content? All right, cool. Yeah, so I use this, uh, th- these sort of three selves distinctions a lot to think about my own behavior performance in the world. Um, and I use them some in the professional realm, but I use them usually with others that are a little bit more trained in them or have various different perspectives. So I never just kind of tackle these things in myself, I guess, in the professional realm is what I'm getting at. Um, but they're very, very interesting concepts and useful, I'd say, anecdotally in my own life. So the first one is self as content. Now, for this one, it's kind of like the easiest way to think about it is it's what you have to say or think about yourself. And if we brought it back in, for what we were talking about in this episode earlier, that includes and is kind of shaped and heavily influenced, I would suggest, by what others around you are saying. Now, that could be larger social sort of things, such as what the general populace thinks about certain nationalities, gender, whatnot, right? Right. Um, So that could be thinking of yourself or at least in the moment, thinking of the various different ways in which people could think about things that you identify with, right? Now, it could also be specific in instances, um, such as, for example, if you make a certain decision, we're always in these, these places where we have to make decisions about what we're going to do with our time. By making those sort of decisions, we have to then not forgo other things, right? Um, so anytime you're like decision making and such, like so maybe it's like, for example, I have to decide between where I'm going to go to spend time with my family during the holidays. I can't go see everybody. Um, I can only see certain people. Now, those people close to me that don't, you know, that 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 are either positively or negatively impacted by those sort of decisions, the things that they say to me of like, oh, too bad you're not here, right? Like, it'd be loving, caring, but it can also kind of get at me. I can think about myself in those sort of ways as like the person that didn't make it to go see everybody. So this is kind of you have a label about yourself and then you live into that label uh, because it's, you know, your own thoughts about you know, I am, I'm a bad person means that, you know, I do these things or I'm a good person means that I do these mm-hmm. things. And it's being sort of stuck in a way to those ideas about yourself, um, as, as the label that is either been formed by you or by others or by both. Yeah. yeah. And I think the big thing is like, you don't have to live to that sort of thing. It's not true per se, or like you can influence it. So I made a lot of decisions while I was in grad school to pursue things that I knew that'd be very beneficial professionally. They're starting a return. It was a good decision, but inadvertently I didn't see family members like very much at all or talk to them or interact with them enough. Um, so, so the idea when uh, addressing this idea, of the the content to the selfless content is to try and uh, bring to light that these things aren't literally true that these aren't fixed things that you can't change about yourself yeah exactly yeah like if they were true and i'm using that air quotes like they were true in that time but it's not like true of you always but it's very easy to slip into thinking that that is going to be you and that's how you are um so that's kind of it the selfless content is one of them okay now, the next one would be self as awareness is mm-hmm. how I like to talk about it. Um, and this one's kind of fun. It's kind of that like transcending like uh, sense of observing yourself. Is right? this the or one that's noticing? sort of being like in the present moment where it's I'm, you know, experiencing what it's like to be here right now with the things that are around me, that sort of thing? Yeah. So it can have a various degree along like a continuum of like mindfulness components. And gotcha. uh, I was about to ask about that. Yeah. Uh, and I don't. I don't knock on people to get super into that sort of stuff on like getting really close to observing and uh, zenning out, I guess. Does that count? Sure. You know, um, when I was um, when I was in Hawaii um, and I um, came back from recently, 
at least at the time that we're recording this, uh, it was recent. <laughs> and while I was there, I was just so happy to be like on vacation and relaxing that I wanted to make it feel like it stretched into eternity. And so my, I did a lot of these exercises that were sort of mindfulness exercises where it was a lot of my just, I'm going to, whatever's happening right now is happening right now. I'm not going to worry about things that are that I should be doing or that I could be doing. I'm not going to worry about things that aren't around me. I'm just going to be concerned with everything that's happening in the moment. And, but also being aware of like, I can have those thoughts that, um, that I might, you know, try and intrude about things that are going on. And I'll say, like, Hey, your thought that's there. That's all right. But I'm just going to be right here with what's going on. And, uh, and it really actually did feel <laughs> like it, it was, um, doing that. It not only helped me, um, feel like I was there, um, and really in a way it really did make it feel like it stretched on for a long time. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, it actually made it. So I just experienced it more, you know, and, and that wasn't actually my intention, although it should have been. Um, but, uh, it, it allowed me to really be just focused on, you know, what was important around me at the time rather than sort of having my head be somewhere else. Yeah. So one that I've come to like really enjoy, but found that it's really necessary for is like when I go out hiking. So I started hiking kind of like running years ago. And then I used to wonder why I would do more than a mile and I just like would not be in shape for it. And I'd kind of hate the process of all that. Um, yeah, but it like, it, it like turned into this thing where like I'll grab an ice pick and I'll go like hiking up giant snowy uh, mountains that are way too tall. And it's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's fun. It's safe relatively. People um, who uh, live in places like Florida and Nebraska wouldn't understand. The yeah, idea yeah. Of hiking up Meanwhile, I'm like uh, climbing up. Yeah. A mile just, above like yeah. the <laughs> earth and like standing on these icy pinnacles. Yeah. yeah just kidding. Um, people, people in Florida. Yeah. And there's people, <laughs> yeah, there's people who do way crazier stuff than I do. Um, but for me, like it's one of those times where, uh, you have like, you're kind of forced to be able to do it. I mean, you should for your safety. Um, but I find like, it's this weird thing where I'm just going left hand, right leg, right hand, left leg, left hand, right leg, right hand, left leg. And that's like, and then at the same time, like uh, I'm making sure to have three points of contact always that are going, yeah. um, well, depending on the steepness. So like, but it's this thing where, uh, just like listen to some music and like, I stop kind of thinking about things and, that's it. You're just like, I'm noticing, uh, I, I can't notice everything, I guess, per se at once, but I find myself really kind of not worrying about anything except for just like enjoying the process as much as it may like, uh, hurt at, you know, in the moment when you're actually climbing, but still enjoying the process of actually like doing it. Okay. So, but I, so I just want to share like different perspectives in which I use it. So I use it some like this health fitness world, but yeah, yesterday actually, uh, at least yesterday from the recording date, um, was I was running around with a team of five other folks. I organized leading this kind of, uh, project where we had to go around and do a lot of different, uh, filming. And there's folks that are worried about like, are we going to get through the shot list and everything that we need to do? And my thing is like, if we're all worrying about that during our time when we should be actually shooting, like that is a complete waste of our resources in that moment and we need to move forward. Right. Um, so what I try to do there is one guy was kind of like, Oh, worrying about it. And I'm just trying to kind of slide back and be very chill, uh, in the sense of like, where are we at? What are we doing? What can we move forward right now with? Right. Um, and he kind of looked at me in a way as if I was like not taking it so seriously. And I had to kind of step back and be like, no, no, like this is extremely serious. Like I made that kind of point of like, Hey, this is important, but like, well, all we can do really is in the moment, notice where we're at and then move forward. Gotcha. Um, and I've found that I use that a lot when it comes to organizational and sort of leadership sort of things is where are we at, what's been dealt to us and how do we, how do we tackle it? Um, cool. this kind of larger observing self, I guess. I like it. Yeah. All right. Self is context. All right. So this last one I look at, uh, on this, on this, for the, for the sake of this sort of discussion, like using those self-awareness strategies of kind of noticing, observing, taking that sort of tactic, looking at it in context of what you are saying about yourselves, even if that's from others or just from your own experiences, and then using it in the moment to identify uh, what it is that you're experiencing, but then also figuring out where to go next. So it's, it kind of brings this own values thing that we talked about in goals when we were trying to go, go uh, where are we trying to go next? So I guess that example that I was talking about um, with that kind of leadership sort of role, right, is kind of combining those. It's like in the moment, um, I don't want to be that person that someone's thinking of as like the inefficient project leader, right? Um, I might get that sort of sense of feel myself because of him, but I also might think that we're doing a really good job in the moment and noticing what it is that 
uh, I'm kind of feeling and how they're kind of reacting in the situation in that context of like, now it's time to get our stuff down. And this is what we prepared for um, is kind of that self as context coming together. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that was actually a really good st- summary. And I was wanting to say, you know, to try and make sure that we, we hit on this and in case it was difficult to sort of keep track of all of that is when we were talking about how the community helps us shape our language about ourselves and how we develop our own uh, ideas about ourselves and that that can be a lot more complex than simply reporting on who we are. We have these three ideas where um, part uh, how we can make categories, and again, these are arbitrary, but they are useful ways to, to look at this, is uh, how we, uh, the kind of ideas and beliefs we have about ourselves in terms of labels and um, and what we're either told or think about ourselves as sort of a, a category or a static characteristic, and then uh, how we notice our own um, our own actions. This is kind of going back to the idea of simply being able to report on and being aware of what we do. And then the third one being the um, how we make sense of ourselves inside of this longer, this larger context. Okay. So, um, just that those are the sort of three ways, uh, that we can talk about how our, our thoughts and our language and our culture help shape our idea of who we are as a self. Awesome. Love it. So let's kind of wrap these all up. I feel kind of like pointed that we talked about things, but let's like kind of bring them together. Cause we yeah. talked about a lot. Yeah. So the the nice little package that could probably be you know the one thing that we say but <laughs> yeah it's helpful i think to, have, to we really need the background discussion in order to make all of this make sense yes exactly so i would look at the self as a multitude of things that are coming together so yes you have this biological like we molecular neurological sort of level those sort of research angles and stuff the psychological mental social cultural gender ethnicity even nationality are included in these sort of things right it's kind of the epicenter of all these sort of things and the idea is that it's not this mystical epicenter but it's an epicenter to be because of our language, right? And if you wanted something, I think that's a little bit more useful than me just saying like, oh, it's your language. Um, these three concepts of self are something that I particularly found some value in. I am biased and like I'm, I'm, my worldview comes from there. Um, but something like this seems to be pretty consistent and actually embedded into a lot of things when it comes to mindfulness apps and those sort of things that are out there as well. So I, if you haven't, just check them out, I'd say. It sounds good. Okay. And so some of the things I wanted to end on were this idea that um, where the criticisms around the the sort of the first cause or that agent in, inside of us that controls our actions, um, uh, where that can arise from is when we see someone who's doing something, some kind of action or performance or whatever behavior they're, they're um, demonstrating, and we can easily point to what are the things that preceded that. And so like, what is the cause of that behavior? In that case, we tend to say the explanation is then the thing that we can see. But if it's not immediately obvious to us, then it's very tempting to then say, well, then it must be the self, you know, and that's where it goes back to that idea of it sort of being a dumping ground. And in that case, the distinction between the two is really a matter of convenience and opportunity to, I guess, observe what those causal things are. And it's not really theoretical or conceptually useful to make that distinction based on the convenience of the, um, being able to observe those, those causal events. Okay. And so that's where, I am very hesitant always to try and, you know, reach that dumping ground. I'm afraid of falling into the trap of what's the easy explanation that I then no longer have to do anymore, you know, asking questions about. And so, and it creates this, this idea and how self is often treated as a concept that again, doesn't refer to anything in reality that we can detect or agree upon, but instead could actually be better explained as you actually said in yours, um, by these more biological, the molecular neurological, as well as the social, cultural and contextual situations that would, uh, then actually be, uh, the concept of this and that there, there are those two that we talked about. There's basically just being yourself aware. And then there's also how our language just helps us distinguish things that happening to, or by others or to, or by ourself. And that we have this language of I, you, and then the hierarchies and the arbitrary relations that help us make that distinction. So there's not a self entity. And the way I was kind of thinking about this is if you, you know, if you just look at trying to, t- to zoom way out from if you were, if you could lift yourself out of your own perspective and sort of be everywhere at once, then there wouldn't really be a sense of self. And it's the fact that you have a biological organism that has a limited way of reacting to its world and its experiences and its universe. And, um, 
because of the way that it's biologically set up and the context in which it exists, that it's really just that that is the thing we're talking about as self. It is that orientation and the, the ability to react to the universe um, is, is really a self and and that it's not that there's something else that's sort of in an extra dimension that does all yeah. the, the puppet the puppeteering of our behavior and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's just all these things coming together in one spot. Um, yeah, and so really the self is the perspective that only I can have for me or only you can have for you or how anyone else can have for themselves. And you're never going to leave that perspective, although you can use your thoughts and your language and your perspective to try and um, you know imagine someone else's. You can sort of put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, it's just, it's just that sort of focal point by which your own biology and the universe can um, interact with each other. That sets us up perfectly to kind of end, but plug maybe a teaser and some perspective taking soon. Uh, so yeah. if I were you and you were me, would that still hold true? <laughs> Man, super teaser. I like Why it. Why are you who you are? Is that what I said? That doesn't rhyme as well, or ro- like roll as well. Yeah. Who you are. Why you are who you are? That's what I said. It's why we do what we do. But I was going to say why you are who you are. That's oh, I got gotcha. you. like the end of this episode. Right? Why you maybe. do what you do. Why you do what you do. Why I do what I do. That, maybe that's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. Ridiculous. Welcome to some of the banter that happens uh, behind the scenes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, we'll wrap it up there. Is that good? That sounds great to me. So in addition to all the, the jazz that goes at the end of this, um, just want to say a quick shout out. Thank you to Patreon supporters. Yes, thank you so much. And uh, and even if you're not a Patreon supporter, still a big thanks for listening. And if you've shared this with anyone, that's great too. If you've left a review, there are a few people who have done that. Thank you for that. I know, that's what I was going to follow up with. Is oh. like That is one type of support. Like Listening is huge. Yeah. Uh, and sharing those sort of things as well. So if there's anybody that you think would find this sort of stuff fascinating, like kick it along to them. We would really appreciate it. If you have thoughts, ideas, like we're always open to that. We actually have recorded episodes because of listeners like you uh, chiming in on sort of things. So um, in any sort of way of supporting, uh, well, even if that's critical feedback, let us know. Yeah, and if you ever want to reach out to us, uh, we're happy to hear from you. We're happy to respond, and um, you know we've done it a couple times, but we're always happy to also respond on uh, on this recording. So uh, you can get sort of a live feedback, as shout out style sort of thing, um, and you can hit us up, follow the uh, the you know how to do that at the end of this. Um, but otherwise, that's that's all I got. All right, yeah. So Ryan O, Abraham, we are out. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brucier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.